Good morning, Fellowship Favor. Welcome back to our weekly gathering of, of our small groups. We're so glad that you're, you're here with us this morning. My name is David. I'm one of the leaders here. And I'm excited this morning. We're starting out a whole new series. Um, we're going to, over the next four weeks, look at the, the story of Ruth together um, in our studying. And there's a lot of different things that we'll learn in this book. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that we'll see is throughout the book, the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. And when we think about that, that's a message that, that we need to be reminded of. If each one of us were to take an honest evaluation of our lives, there's many times where maybe we have said we'll do something and we haven't, or we've um, not held up to our word or done something indeed that we said we would. And what's beautiful about the Lord's faithfulness is that it doesn't change based on our actions. He's a faithful God. He's true to his character. So to begin, I want us to stand together and read this from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13, out loud together. Let's, let's read this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so this morning, as we sing of the Lord's faithfulness, of the sing of the Lord's goodness, I want to encourage you to sing out this morning and sing it over the people in front of you and to your side. So let's sing this together. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me in all my days. I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing it out together. Your voices carry it. All my life you have been faithful. Every voice. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will say of the goodness of God. I love your voice. In darkest nights, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, and I have in the goodness of God. Oh, my Every breath that I am able, I 
can have a seat. Well, welcome to Fellowship Fayetteville. We're so glad to be here this morning with you all. So grateful that we get to celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness towards us together as as a body, uh, as a church family together. We're so glad that you're here today. Both those of you that are here in the room with us, but also those that are here with us on live stream, welcome. So glad you're here as we come together to uh, open up the Bible together. To, to help understand what it says, what it teaches us about God's goodness and faithfulness and love for us and, and all of his character, and then how to apply that to our lives. And I'm so excited, as David said this morning, that we're, we're diving into a new series in Ruth. Uh, such an incredible story of, of redemption and hope and love, and, and I'm so excited for us to jump into that today. And as we're going through this new series, if you're looking for a resource to jump in just a little bit deeper in, into the passages that we're going through, I want to point you towards our Sermon Notes podcast. Our Sermon Notes, is a, it's a weekly podcast designed to help us dig in a little bit deeper to the passages. We're having conversations with our teachers that are teaching each week, and, and some of the things that really stuck out to them, and maybe some of the things that didn't quite make it into uh, the Sunday morning teaching as well. And so I I love that podcast. I listen to it a lot, and I'd encourage you to go check it out on, on Apple or Google or the Google Play Store, whatever it's called that Google has their podcasts on. So, uh, <laughs> hey, let me introduce myself. Uh, I'm a great... Or, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with anxiety and depression and food issues and sexual addiction, and my name is Andy. Uh, hey, y'all. Uh, 
So I, I have the privilege of leading our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And every week we, we give our introduction like that there, just to, to lay out just a little bit of the, the vulnerability and authenticity uh, of, of what we're walking through. And as we do that, we're able to walk closer and deeper with Jesus uh, together and, 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 and individually. And uh, I wanted to invite you to something really exciting that's happening here in just a couple weeks at our Friday night services with Celebrate Recovery. We're celebrating our third anniversary on February 18th. It's, yeah. It's an exciting, exciting thing. We, we can't believe it's already been three years. It's been so cool to see everything that God's been doing. And we have a very special uh, guest speaker that's going to be sharing uh, his story of, of hope and healing through Jesus. And it's uh, a man named Mickey Rapier, who is our directional leader here at Fellowship Fayetteville and a part of our elder board. Uh, and uh, we would love uh, to, for you all to come and, and, and attend that night, hear his story, and, and see what Celebrate Recovery is all about and what God has been doing in this incredible ministry that we have here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And, you know, as I've been thinking about uh, just kind of what to share uh, as, as we've seen God work and move over the past three years, there, there's no way that I could possibly share all of the stories and all of the healing and, and all of the cool things that God has been doing in, in three to five minutes. And so I started thinking about what was the most impactful thing for me whenever I first started attending Celebrate Recovery and what was the thing that I needed to see. And I think for me, it was the willingness of people to be vulnerable and open with what is going on in their, in their life and how they're seeking to walk closer to Jesus. And I remember in my very first Celebrate Recovery service, somebody gave their introduction, just like I did a few moments ago, and laid out all of their struggles in a room of a couple hundred people, and I was floored. Uh, and what it showed me is that maybe there's some hope for me. In our introductions, we, we do those in a specific order, in a specific way, uh, because they, they mean something. The first thing we state is our position and our faith. And the reason why we do that is because if we're followers of Jesus, that's the most important thing about us. For years and years, I defined myself by my struggles. But in reality, it's the grace of God that defines who we are. And because we're all broken people, we all deal with stuff. We just say, what are, what are the things that we're asking God to work in our lives to bring us closer to him that we can gain healing and freedom from? And then we got to call each other something so we say our name. <laughs> and uh, as I was thinking about that uh, and how each introduction is like a miniature story of somebody as they've been finding healing and hope, I asked a couple friends of mine that are members of this church but also attend on Friday night to come and share a little bit of their story as well. And so would you give it up for them as they come up here and share a little bit of their story? Well, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I struggle with body image issues, um, sexual addiction, anger, and anxiety, and my name's David. I'm a grateful believer. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with fear and anger and pride, and I now celebrate more joy in my friendships, my marriage, and my work. My name is Margo. I'm a humbled believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with sexual addiction, food issues, and selfishness, and I celebrate a 30-year pornography addiction, and my name is Ray. Hey, Ray. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I am finding freedom from shame in my past, and I struggle with anger and control issues, and my name's Allie. Hey, Allie. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm celebrating three years over a porn addiction. I struggle with codependency, pride, and the past effects of sexual addiction, and my name's Colton. Hey, Colton. I'm a grateful believer of Jesus. I celebrate recovery from suicidal ideations and past effects of childhood sexual and physical abuse. I struggle with codependency, anxiety, and um, past effects of sexual sin. My name is Vanessa. Hey, Vanessa. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I celebrate uh, 40 years of sobriety over alcoholism, but I struggle with lust, pornography, pride, and anger issues. My name is Willie. Hey, Willie. 
And I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. I struggle with anxiety and depression, food issues, and sexual addiction, and I celebrate recovery over a 13-year pornography addiction. My name's Andy. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery over a sexual addiction, and I still struggle with lust, uh, codependency, and control issues, and my name is Julia. Hey, Julia. Hi, y'all. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate seven years of victory over loss of joy and anger and sexual addiction, and my name is Vicki. Everybody, I'm a grateful believer in my Savior, Jesus, who helps me with my struggle with anger, codependency, and depression, and I celebrate recovery from the pain and abandonment of divorce, and my name is David. Hey, everybody. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with the past effects of sexual addiction, codependency, fear of the future, uh, and pride, but I also celebrate the recovery from a 10-year addiction to pornography. My name is Cody. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I celebrate recovery over loss of faith for over eight years. I continue to struggle with anger, pride, lust, codependency. My name is Ed. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with codependency, anxiety, and anger. And my name is Sydney. Good morning. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. I celebrate recovery over loss of faith and sexual brokenness, and I struggle still with um, fear of rejection and some grief. My name is Jill. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Well, Fellowship, aren't you glad that we're a church that isn't afraid of the mess, that realizes that the grace of God is made perfect in our weakness, not in our strength, and how he's willing to enter into that with us to draw us closer to him. And that's what we celebrate this morning. So as we continue on in worship, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, thank you for your faithfulness in the midst of our brokenness and the brokenness of this world. Father, I pray that this morning you would lead us just a little bit closer to your heart, the way that you love us, the way that you're drawing us closer to you. Uh, Father, we need you. Would you be with us this morning? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Well, right off of that, we want to teach you a new song. And um, hey, this song is not going to work if y'all aren't participating in it. It's kind of a call and response song. And our team in Fayetteville, we wrote this song with the book of Ruth in mind and, and how we see stories of, like Andy said, hope, redemption, new life, um, and just reminded of his faithfulness. And so the song is called Have and Always Will. It is on Spotify. And so if, if you like it, I'd share it. It's just a, it's just a reminder and a, pro- a proclamation of the hope that we have in our Lord. And so we're going to sing a chorus together. And then, like I said, it's a call and response. And so it's not going to work if you just kind of stand there and look at us while we, while we sing it. So this is how the chorus goes. And you'll hear your part really quick. It goes like this. You give hope. You haven't always will. You redeem. You haven't always will. You change hearts. You breathe life, you haven't always will. You haven't always will. Whenever we get to that chorus, I'm gonna need you to sing that part with us. You have and always will. Would you stand with us? Let's sing this song together. From the wilderness, you brought me home. You have and always will. From the lowly pit, you hold me up again. You have and always will. You have and always will. Here we go. You give hope. You have and always will. You redeem, you have and always will. You change hearts, have and always will. You breathe life, you have and always will. You have and always will. 
Father, you are faithful. You always have been, and you always will be. Lord, in our loneliness, thanks for drawing near to us. In our brokenness, your kindness draws near to us. We are so thankful for that. Lord, would you teach us this morning from your word that we may leave here different than how we came in? Holy Spirit, you're the only one who can do that. Open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say this morning. Would you teach us? In your name we pray. Amen. You may grab a seat. Well, good morning, church family. Clark here with you this morning. Wow, guys. I didn't see that coming. So good. Breathe life and energy into the room with the good news of Jesus and God's faithfulness. Um, as I said, my name's Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as congregational leader here in Fayetteville. And it is a privilege to be uh, with you this morning as we start a new series that'll run uh, just about through the end of February. And, uh, and so we're excited about our time together. And uh, man, I don't do this a lot, but um, man, I just gotta confess something. I've been really restless the last 48 hours. And uh, just through preparation, usually most of us in our teaching pattern, we, um, we pretty much... Uh, land by Thursday, Wednesday, and we're good to go. And the last 48 hours, I've just had my ch uh, check in my spirit a few times as I try to walk in the power of God's spirit and, and shepherd people uh, with the word of God. And so I um, wanted to thank um, our team, our tech team. They've been very gracious with me as I've made some tweaks to the teaching and, um, and just wanted to uh, uh, just express uh, gratefulness for your patience um, in working with me as I try to uh, think through uh, all the different demographics in this room and what you bring into the room. And God burdens me with things and the stories that I know you're going through. And I think through those as I think through the text that we're teaching. And, uh, and so just want to confess that to you. And I need to go to the Lord. And I'm going to do that in front of you and hopefully with you for a few minutes this morning. So would you go there with me? Father, it is good to be adopted in your family. Um, it is good to be created in your image. It is good to be defined by being in Christ as a follower of him. Thank you for those three truths. May we all speak to one another, treat one another, and see ourselves in those truths this morning and this week. God, shed your light on your scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife, Pam, is out of town, and I did say if she was watching that I would wave to her and say hi to her on live stream. And so, Pam, honey, good morning. Good to see you. Well, after years, and I know I've done this a few times, after years, I've cried in front of you guys like a baby up here, and y'all have seen that, okay? And I've shared some of my sin struggles that I've battled over the years, but I figured that I needed to come clean on one more thing here, Okay? I'm a sucker for classic romance, epic love story movies, all right? And so I, I felt a little insecure about sharing that with a room this size, but it's true, and I needed to come clean uh, with you on that. As Pam will attest, if you'll start with the way we were and then go backwards 30 years, I'm all in on those love stories, and she'll be the first one to tell you that even though a close second is biography in the context of war, biography in the context of Western, she'll be the first one to tell you that when Casablanca, Roman Holiday, and Sabrina are on, she's lost me. And I'm all in, no matter where we are in the movies. And so some of the men are having nervous laughter right now because you're, you're, you're the same way. And you, you needed someone to admit that. I'm drawn to the conversation, the dialogue that moves the romance forward. The older movies didn't have as much action to depend on or music, but just pure, the grit of dialogue to push the story forward, to pivot the movie, to bring it to crisis, to experience the pain. Uh, you have the odd match of an American nightclub owner, Rick Blaine, who falls in love with this, uh, this Norwegian girl, Ilsa. And it's, it's an odd match, and she thought she had lost her husband to the Nazis, and they have this weekend in Paris together, and she later says, we'll always have Paris. And then he makes this statement, Ilsa, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take too much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday, Ilsa, you'll understand that. 
Peter's looking at you, kid. What does that even mean? And yet in that moment, I'm in. I'm standing there on the airport runway going, get on the plane, Rick, let's go. An American a news reporter who stumbles upon Princess Anne, actually she stumbles upon him and Roman Holiday, and they spend the day of all days together exploring Rome. Audrey Hepburn looks Gregory Peck in the eyes, and she says this, and it's real, it's short, it's curt, and it's weighty. I have to leave you now. I'm going to that corner. I'm going to turn. You must stay in the car and drive away. Promise not to watch me go beyond the corner. Just drive away and leave me as I leave you. It's so good. So good. Sabrina Fairchild, she begins her story. Once upon a time on the north shore of Long Island, some 30 miles from New York, there lived a small girl in a large estate. She begins her story, and she finds the unlovable Linus Larrabee. It's, it's who she's really been chasing all her life, not the young, punk, handsome little brother, David. So now you know. And my guess, like I said, is that many of you have the same love for old, classic, epic movies. And some of you, after the games are over today, you're going to find North by Northwest or maybe The Princess Bride and be captured by another great love story. And that's what we have this month together in Ruth is an incredible love story. As some have noted, it's the perfect narrative. It pulls together at least over two decades of history in a dark time in Israel's history. 85 verses, 56 of those verses are actually dialogue back and forth between people as they push the story forward. And J. Vernon McGee, he says that the book of Ruth is a pearl in the swine pen of the judges. Another noted that this is the romance of redemption in this story. We've got pain, loss, grit, love, hope, awkward moments in a bit of what's next in this great masterpiece, but a little bit of background to kind of guide our way before we get into chapter one this morning. The author is actually unknown. The text doesn't explicitly say who wrote this. The Talmud, which is the Jewish uh, text for Jewish rabbinical law, thinks that Samuel wrote it. So that's our best guess, but we technically don't know who wrote Ruth. We know that it was likely written sometime just after King David probably ascended to the throne. So around 1010 BC, based on what's in there. And this is narrative short story, and we see these themes arise as we work through our time together in Ruth. The providence of God, God's sovereign control and care for all things, but not at the expense of human responsibility. And so we see choice. We see good decisions made, bad decisions made, and yet God pushes forward his redemptive plan in spite of and with our human engagement. We see the role of women in God's mission here, specifically in light of Naomi and in the life of Ruth. And we see how God used them, one an Israelite, one a Moabite, to push God's story together. And then we see redemptive, narr redemptive narratives Redemptive narratives, not only for Ruth and Naomi, but also as God does this big redemptive plan in pushing his story forward together. And he even involves a pagan nation in Moab. And you see God's heart for all nations here in this story as well. And we see this, this big idea, all through Ruth, God providentially works through the circumstances of life to accomplish his mission. He uses choices Sins, joys, heartbreaks, famine, loss, darkness, really difficult questions. We'll get to those here in a few minutes to push together the Davidic line and bring us King Jesus down the line. Today in these 22 verses, we see Ruth and Naomi and their interaction. We see them return from Moab and back to Bethlehem. And we're gonna work through the timeline like this, the famine, the return and the bitterness, the famine, the return and the bitterness. And the interesting literary structure that you'll see here used in chapter one is a device that we call a chiasm, if you will. And so this is the shortened version of it, but a chiasm is simply a literary device that 
builds, it repeats ideas, brings us to the point of crisis, and then repeats back those ideas in opposite order. And you see this happening um, all through the book of Ruth, specifically in chapter one this morning. We begin in famine. We go from Bethlehem. We meet Naomi, who's pleasant. She has a crisis. She has an inability to conceive because of a lot of factors. She becomes bitter. She immigrates back to Bethlehem, and then we find her on the edge of harvest. Interesting literary device that helps us see some of the big ideas of where we're going to be going this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 1. It's just after the book of Judges. And we'll pick it up here in the very first phrase, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And I thought it would be helpful for us to remember where we're at in the timeline. How many panorama of the Bible graduates do we have in here? All right, we got a few of those. Yeah, panorama. You can find that resource on our website. It'd be a great, um, it'd be a great resource for you to address. But these are the kind of the, where we've come from the beginning, some of the five big movements in the panorama, panorama Bible timeline, the prologue, Genesis 1 through 11. Then we meet Abraham and the patriarchs. We find ourselves rescued from Pharaoh. God's given them redemption. But they disobey and they murmur, they argue, they complain, and they find themselves wandering in the wilderness. God's faithful to his promise. He brings them to the edge of the Jordan. They look upon him, they cross the Jordan on dry ground, and then they find themselves in the land, and God has commanded them to take full possession of the land and the conquest. That's the story of Joshua. And then we find ourselves with half-hearted, partial obedience in a time that we call apostasy. That's when this is happening. That's what's happening in the book of Judges here, when the judges ruled. It was a leadership vacuum of about 300 years of darkness that settled in over Israel as they did, as everyone did, as the end of Judges said, everyone did what is right in his own eyes and there was no king. Some of the judges you may be familiar with, like big name personalities that you're familiar with in the scriptures, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, they were judges in this time. And so in peacetime, they would rule and serve as justice uh, coordinators, but they would also serve as great military leaders during this time as well. And so that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves when the judges ruled. What's going on? There's famine in the land. And this is an important backdrop to the whole story because it's going to be a backdrop in every chapter as you see God's faithfulness to provide. There was famine in the land. There are three possible reasons for the famine. It could just be that a natural disaster has found its way in and around Bethlehem and has given them issues with crop production, okay? It could be that they're experiencing an extended period of drought, just a lack of rain. Uh, famine could also be caused by an enemy coming in and invading and destroying the land. Some commentators have suggested, based on the timing of when this is written, that they're experiencing the darkness of disobedience and the curses from Deuteronomy 28 to 30, where God says, if, you're gonna, if you obey me half-heartedly, if you don't keep my commands, you're going to experience the consequences of your sin. Hence, a vacuum of leadership. Hence, this famine in the land. The text does not say, but some have suggested that could be what's going on as well. This famine is likely not just in Bethlehem, in this small area, but it's likely in the greater surrounding area as well. And then we find out where we're at. We're in a place called Bethlehem in Judah, and they're about to make a trip to Moab, three distinct places. Ironically, Bethlehem means the house of bread. They find themselves in famine in a place called the house of bread. In Judah, which is the house of praise, and they make their way to Moab. And Moab's just a little bit east and north of the Dead Sea and then up around on the backside of the Dead Sea. So that's where they make their journey to here in this story. Um, in Psalm 60, verse 8, God says Moab is his wash basin. Uh, some commentators think that that means it's, it's a foot bath. It's a metaphor. It's a, it's a dirty bowl. It's interesting that they would leave the house of praise, the house of bread, and find themselves as, in what one commentator says is a garbage pot to find 
food. And then we're introduced to the main characters of the narrative, verse two. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. Say Elimelech seven times in a row. You wanna do that this morning? Keep you awake, Jordan, right? right? Elimelech. His wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons, Machlon and Kilion, and they're not Kajon, okay? I had to do that, all right? And some of y'all know the reference, but we're not gonna stop right there, all right? They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, but that is how you say their name. They were meant to rhyme. Uh, they went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, we have our first um, crisis or scene of brokenness here. The husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives, they were living in Moab. One's name was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and then both her sons died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husbands. And we have our, we've, we've been brought to the point of crisis here. You see in their culture, without men, without her husband, and without these two sons, she had no heir or future security. All has been lost. She's a child, and then we have this childless widow in a foreign land on top of that. She's not even home with two daughters-in-law. The darkness is not just hovering now, but it's found its way into the deep crevices of a real live family, and they're experiencing the fruits of brokenness. In verse six, she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from Moab, why? Because they've heard that God's been gracious and he's brought food back into the land. The famine has ended and he's now providing food with them. They take off, they start to make their way back. And then we have this interesting back and forth that I'm gonna summarize in verses eight to 15. Ruth goes to both Orpah, um, Naomi goes to both Orpah and Ruth and says, you need to stay home. This is your best shot of a hope and a future. This is your best shot of provision, of identity, of security. Go, go back to your mother's home. I'm gonna be okay. I can make my journey back home. And there's back and forth. And she says this. She says, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they could one day become your husbands? Turn back, go your own way. For I'm too old to have a husband. And if I could, even if this night I could have a husband, should I bear you sons? They could pass on the air. Would you wait until they're grown? Would you wait two decades until they're grown? Would you refrain that long from remarrying? No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She encourages them to go back. Orpah, through tears and through a kiss, decides to return to Moab. But the scriptures tell us that Ruth, her other daughter-in-law, clings. She will not leave her mother-in-law. We find ourselves at this crisis point of chapter one. And then we have the great movie line in our story today. It's not just love that we'll learn about that Boaz has for Ruth. It's not just the love that God has for his nation, but it's a love that a daughter-in-law has for her mother-in-law, and we'll see a love that she has for Yahweh as well. Verse 16, this is the line. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. If anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi heard this, she stopped the battle and said no more. And they began on their journey back. This statement captures this idea of resolute loyalty, this commitment with nothing to lose, an abandonment of her home, an abandonment of the gods that she grew up with, an abandonment of her family. And she stakes it all on a track back west to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. Some have said that 
her faith was greater than Abraham's. You see, Abraham was hanging on to a promise. Abraham had things, possessions. She had nothing, no security, no possessions, just a faithful loyalty and love to her mother-in-law. And then she speaks covenant language. She uses this personal name for the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh. And it seems to be a greater embrace than just this distant, hey, I wanna figure out who your God is, Naomi, as I move into your culture. But there's, a, there's an acceptance or an embracing of Yahweh. It's somewhat of an Old Testament picture of New Testament repentance, a turning away from all that she could have security in and a turning to Yahweh to be her provider. It's a great step of faith for her. Loyalty and faith are now on display. And then we see the bitterness. They make their way back to Bethlehem. And Ruth and Naomi, they enter the town. And the women see Naomi. Is this Naomi? Likely life has not worn well in the way she looks. She's had a bitter, hard, for sure, the last decade, brokenness. And she said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. It's interesting here. She, two times she uses the personal name of God, Yahweh, his covenant-keeping faithful name, and then two times she uses this almighty name, this El Shaddai, just a recognition that God is large and providential and sovereign and in control. And you can feel the struggle. We feel this sometimes. where you, There's this intimacy with God. God, I, I wanna trust you. I wanna believe you're real, but the pain I am that I'm in right now is so real that you seem somewhat distant, but I still know you're in control. I don't feel you, but I know you're there. I think she's there right now. She's found her in, in these phrases here. The Almighty's dealt bitterly with me. The Lord brought me back empty. He's testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity up on me. And the text does not say why exactly or this is what she was thinking. But I gotta wonder if I'm her. She does what a lot of us do. When we look back in midlife with some regret, and she got to wonder if she's thinking, well, maybe Elimelech and I, we, should we have stayed in Bethlehem? Maybe it wasn't a good idea to go to Moab. I know we needed food, but it was just easier to go than trust Yahweh when there was no food. Elimelech, was trying to provide. Then when I lost him, maybe, I don't know, I, we needed a sense of steadiness or stability in our family, and I don't know, maybe we shouldn't agree to let our sons marry these Moabite girls. I don't know, maybe it wasn't the best idea, and God, maybe, maybe just, maybe I, is our family a reflection these last two decades of your nation's waywardness? Have we been pulled into this dark, just steady disobedience? We're not told that. I wonder with these kinds of questions, was she feeling some regret, some shame, returning back empty to her homeland, wondering, should we have stayed? We don't know for sure. On the other hand, some have suggested that she's just recognizing she's not blaming God. She's not putting this on him. But in her use of the word almighty, she's just recognizing that he's in control of both the good and the bad. And that in the dark moments that he's present, even when you don't feel him. And so I don't know if you can take from this passage that this is specifically how God works at all times and all places. It's worth asking the question as you consider his character. What about you? Have you, 
in this room this morning, you look back in the last couple of decades of your life, have you ever wondered if God is against you? Anybody felt that? Have you ever wondered if God has intentionally brought calamity onto your life? Is he responsible for that? Have you ever wondered if you're paying for or he's allowing you to experience the fruit of your sin and choices? I bet everyone in the room has felt that before. God, what did I do to deserve this? What have you brought onto me and does he allow trial and circumstance happen to even the most obedient person in this room? Does he do that? She's willing to voice it and to go there in her desperation. And we know he disciplines his sons and daughters whom he loves. Ask some of those questions eating your Chipotle today, right? Little light lunch topic. But that's where we find ourselves here this morning, the first chapter. There is good news coming, but we're brought to this point of emptiness. And in verse 22, Naomi returns with Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. They make their way from the country of Moab and they come to Bethlehem and they find themselves at the beginning of the barley harvest. A ray of hope, but still no security for Naomi and Ruth. Would you stand with us? Let's sing this together. It's not a one thing, it's another 
take brokenness aside and make it beautiful, beautiful. You make it beautiful, beautiful. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow. as we come to a close in chapter one here in Ruth. Naomi is full in famine, in her own words. She leaves full, without food, but with family, with a future, with hope, with security. And then we find her here now exclaiming, I'm empty and I'm on the edge of harvest season. She has things, but she's empty. She has no hope. She has no future. Could it be that the good news of the gospel message, Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection on our behalf, it only makes sense in this paradox. Some of you are full because of the work of Jesus, his life when he had you in a place of emptiness, barren, in a spiritual famine. Some of you are in harvest, yet you're empty, and he wants to meet you there. And there's hope in this story. You see, they need an heir. They need a, an heir who can be a redeemer. The nation needs an heir. And in God's great redemptive work, 
We need an heir who would become a redeemer. It's gonna be really cool to see what God does in chapter two next week. If you find yourself this morning where Naomi is, and there's a way that we could pray for you and minister you, these doors to your right, to my left, or our prayer room, and we'd love to huddle around you and pray for you and ask God to meet you in that. Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you for the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In his name, help us walk, live, work, love, play, and honor you in all we do to your glory. And in his name, we pray these things. Amen. Have a great week, fellowship.